ago, when uh, actually when Pastor uh, Paul Hood was here, we had a, a large youth group, <clears throat> and we uh, did some. Always, I'm into analytics and looking at things, you know. And we asked, we looked at all the kids in the youth group, and uh, here's what we found out: that there were some of our kids were homeschooled, some of our kids were in public school, and some of our kids were in Christian schools, and there was no correlation between the kind of schooling they were and how spiritual and spiritually interested they were. None at all. But you know what there was a correlation? The family and the home, every time. Uh, we're investing in the next generation. And uh, these parents who sacrificed to send their kids uh, on mission trips, uh, that's a great investment. And uh, we are hopefully raising another generation of young people and the opportunities they have that other young people don't have. And by the way, when they go, they're not there as spectators. They're there to do the work of God. And I, I'm thrilled by it. And I'm thrilled to see our young people growing and learning. And we have so much that we should not take for granted. But thank God for the kids, for the families, for you who made it possible. Some of you provided resources. I know the families, many of the families sacrificed uh, for the kids to go. So I'm so thrilled about that. Uh, I'm going to mention this again. If you did not receive a study sheet for the next lesson, which is not next Sunday. Next Sunday is our uh, uh, care groups. But if you did not receive one of these and want one, if you'll raise your hand, please. Uh, we'll make sure you get one. If you didn't get one, this is just for, we're going to post them on the bulletin board after you do it. But uh, if you'll just uh, work on it, I think it'll help you. It'll help you prepare for, for the lesson. And I hope you'll do that. If you're listening by live stream today or tonight or, or you're not able to be here and want, want one to call the office, uh, we can send you one by email so you too can, can get to that. You know, I can't help but make this correlation for what we're hearing tonight. Uh, these kids uh, are a blessing to me, and I'm sure a blessing to you. Whether or not you have kids in the group or not, I think you enjoy hearing what God is doing among the young people. Now just imagine... Imagine you're a young person growing up in a totally heathen, cruel, wicked culture. That's where you grow up. And so you uh, become a new Christian. How are you going to behave as a wife or a husband? By the way, where do you learn how to be a husband? Bible. Huh? Bible. From your dad. You, you learn to be a husband from your dad. Where do you learn how to be a wife? From your, from your mom. And you know, I have done, uh, I, I, I counted, my wife counted up, I've done 70 weddings in this building and 70 more outside the building. So I, every one of those weddings, I would do pre-marriage counseling and talk to the kids and meet with them actually six or seven times. It was rather long, intensive. And I would say, you know, uh, you're going to be amazed, but here's what happens. Sir, you're going to sound like your dad sometime. You're going to go, oh my, I sound just like my dad. You're grinning because you know what I'm saying. And how many wives say, oh my goodness, my mother used to say that all the time. You know, it, it is, that's where we learn how. But now look, let's just suppose that your mom and dad were heathen. Let's suppose they were immoral. Let's suppose that in the culture you grew up in, all these things were acceptable and, and, and were recognized. Let's suppose you came from a totally heathen background. Where are you going to learn how to be a Christian husband 
and a Christian wife. Well, we know, don't we? The book of 1 Peter, you know, every passage, every, every section of Scripture must be understood in its context. Uh, I preached a series of messages on this on 1 Peter a few years ago. And the title of my series was this, Right Living in a Wrong World. Uh, the world in which we live is a wrong world. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, the, the culture has deteriorated. I mean, not just in the Christian sense, but the culture has deteriorated. Uh, the, the respect for law, the, the homes, the marriages... Uh, the ethics, I mean, everything, everything you can think of has deteriorated. We're, we're in a wrong world. Now, this book was written to Christians scattered abroad all in the first century. Now, remember, every single one of them, every single one of them was raised in the wrong world. They're, I mean, if you, I can't even, I can't in this audience describe what it was like. But it was wicked beyond what you can imagine. I mean, the things they allowed, the things they promoted, uh, the way they lived. Uh, women had almost no rights at all. They were mistreated. They were put aside. All these kind of things. And yet, the, the scriptures tell us how to live in the wrong world. And so, to understand the passage, we need to look at the book itself. And so, if you would, open your Bibles to the book of First Peter. First Peter, how does, and, and here's the question, how's a, how does a believer adapt to his new life as a believer? Now, you're a new believer. Your family was not Christian. The people around you aren't Christian. You were not in a Christian school. You did not see godly people around you. How are you going to learn how to live? And the first place is in the home. Because that's the place where the children are trained either to serve the Lord or to ignore the Bible. That's where they're trained. Uh, there's a message, I'll not get to preach in this series, but a message on impacting the next, the next uh, two generations. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you ought to read it sometime. Uh, God expects us not just to take care of our own family, but to take care of our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. That's the, the scripture admonition. But I want you to look. So how, if, you, if you were Peter writing to these people who really had no background at all, how would you, how would you advise them? Well, let's look, first of all, chapter 2 of First Peter, and look at verse 13. First Peter uh, 2.13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, or as unto them that are sent by them for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For this... For so is the will of God that you with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The first thing he says to these people who are living under a vile, wicked government, submit to those people who are over you. And he says, if you do, then they will be impressed by how you live and your sweet testimony, and you can impact them by that. You see, because the natural reaction is to fight back. The natural reaction is to say, you know, tell me what to do. I'll stick around and do what I want to do. But these Christians live by a different standard. Their life, the way they are supposed to deal with these things is, a, is different than the world they, they were born into. Look, if you would, in verse 18, same chapter, it says this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only the good and the gentle, but also to the froward, for this is thankworthy, 
If a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffering wrongly, what glory is it? But when you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer, uh, suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. So now he talks to servants. Uh, some of them were doubtless slaves. Some of them were just household people. Some were working in menial jobs. But he says, listen, in this wicked world, in this wrong world, you need to be submissive to those who are over you. And he says, this pleases God. And it will make a difference if you learn how to rightly live in this wrong world. Now, look, if you would, please, at chapter 3 and verse 1. Here's an important word. Likewise, you wives. What does that mean? Why likewise? What's the theme of the book? It's submission, right? You submit to the government, submit to your masters. Likewise, you wives. So he's, he's not, he hasn't changed the subject. See, what happens sometimes, we take a passage like this out of context, and we come up with all kinds of strange ideas about it. But really, he's only continuing this thing. If, if we're living in a wrong world. And by the way, in this case, the husbands were either unsaved, or they were disobedient believers. How do you deal with that? I mean, when you're a Christian, if you're, if you're both born again and wanting to serve the Lord, there, there's, a, there's a commonality, a commonality of purpose, a commonality of morals, all, all these things that should work together for the family. But when you're married and you're married to an unbeliever, how do you deal with it? Well, look what it says. Likewise, she wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So the answer to the wife in a wrong world, married to a wrong person is to be, is to be, is to be, one more time, if I hear it, I'll stop. It is to be... Thank you. That helps a lot. All right. Now, just in case you men have said, okay, now you tell my wife how to be submissive. Here's what it says. Verse 7. Likewise, you husbands. Has the subject changed? No. He's saying, by the way, I haven't forgotten about you, men. I've, I've talked about the wives, but now let me talk about you. Because there were, there were husbands who had unsaved wives. Or they were saved, they were both saved, and they were supposed to lead their wife and be the right kind of leader in the home as God had instructed. So now he says, likewise, ye husbands. Now, one more. Look over chapter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, there's the word again, so he hadn't changed the subject. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves uh, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now look, get, 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 God resists. It, the, the word literally means to encircle. God makes life hard for someone who is proud. Someone who refuses to submit. God makes life hard for them. Why? 
to change them, to make them realize they've got to change what they're doing. But to those who are humble, God gives grace. Two meanings. One, God gives them things they don't deserve. And God's people said, hallelujah. Yeah. God's people said, yeah, we could be Pentecostal for one night if you don't mind. Just speak up, all right? Sure. Isn't that good that God gives us things we don't deserve? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be good if you're trying to raise your family for God and you're doing everything you know and sometimes you're frustrated and sometimes you don't know what to do and, and a, a Sunday school teacher comes along or a mission trip comes along or a Christian camp comes and all of a sudden such a tremendous impact that you could not make, you did not make. What a, God gives grace. And not only that, God gives grace. The second meaning of grace in the New Testament is this. God gives supernatural grace. Enablement. Whatever you're trying to do for God, God will help you do it. But he does it on the basis of humility. Now, this, this, this just doesn't fit the, 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 the uh, American model, does it? I mean, you know, when, uh, and I'm sorry, there are a lot of Christians who have a hard time with this. Uh, we, we, hear, we look all around us, we, we, are, we, we, get, we get confronted by things that are just repulsive to us. And we need to learn how to live with that situation without being contentious, being kind, being humble, being willing to, uh, when we're under proper authority, and this has to do with proper authority, it doesn't mean to condone sin, it means when we're in a position where we're under authority, we need to learn how to submit to that authority. Now, let's look at us. I think, I think would, you, would you agree with me that we're much like the first century now? That our culture in, our, in America is pretty much the way it was back then? If, if you ever read ancient history, you'd probably understand what I'm saying. All the things that are godly, the things that we cherish as believers are mocked or scoffed at. Uh, immorality is, is promoted, is allowed. Hey, the mutilization of children for this transcendent... Sexual thing. Isn't that horrible? Can you even think of that? Uh, that's the world we live in. Now, how do we, as a mom and a dad, adjust to that? How, ladies, do you become a beautiful woman? And how, gentlemen, do you become a gentleman? Now, we understand this. We learn, we learn our, our way. By the way, let me say one more thing about this. God's way is not just the best way. You know the rest of the statement? God's way is the only way. Uh, it, it's sad for me to say, I've, I've been doing this a long time. I've talked to lots of people. And it would probably be, it it'd probably shock you if you knew how many people have this attitude. Well, I know what the Bible says, but. Yeah, I, I see what the Bible says, but, but you don't understand my situation. I'm different. Our situation, or you don't understand my husband, you don't know my wife, or you don't know my relatives. I mean, we have all these reasons why we're the exception. No, God's way is not just the best way, God's way is the only way. So we need to pay attention. We need to go back to the Word of God and say, don't, where, where do we measure ourselves? We measure ourselves by our parents. Uh, you know, like it or not, try not to, we end up acting like our parents did. You know, uh, some parents used to solve every problem by blowing up and yelling at one another. And some parents don't talk to each other. I, I was at, actually at a home one time. I actually spent the night in a home 
where the husband and wife had not talked to each other for six months. Not a word. And when I walked up to the door and knocked on the door, the husband was sitting right in the living room, right in front of the door, never moved. I knocked on the door again. The wife comes running, oh, please come on in. And, he, well, you know, they never talked. I mean, now guess what? Guess, guess how their children would solve problems, just like they did. If they yelled at each other, they would yell too. If they, if they clam up and don't talk, they'll... Now, that's not the issue. The issue is, what does the Bible say? How do we treat each other? How do we deal with each other? We learn what Christians are by popular culture. I, my example, the first, the first lesson I, I talked here was, was those pastors in Ghana. I love those men. I, I've been there a number of times. I've labored among them. I've been there. I know them. I've taught them. And they're good men, but they grew up in a Muslim culture. And in spite of being preachers and standing in the pulpit and preaching the word of God, they still taught, treated their wives like the Muslims treat women. And it was, it was hurtful. But by the way, thank God that's changed. But that was years ago. But I'm telling you, they grew up in that culture. Where do we learn how to be moms and dads in the culture we live in? In other words, how do people around us, what are the husbands and wives like around us? We learn how we to live by our friends. We want you know to be good and act like our friends act. And it's amazing to me uh, how young people get so impacted by their friends. Instead of being impacted by the right people, they follow after the friends they're with. And by the way, why do they do that? Because that's where their heart is. I used to think that those kind of things ruin people. It, here's a fact: we we seek our own kind of people. And, and so if we are impacted by our friends, we are in trouble. But, but I want to talk to the husbands and wives today because that's the passage of Scripture. We need to understand what the Bible says, not how we see it, how our friends see it, how our neighbors see it, how Hallmark sees it, whatever. Wherever you get your information, unless it's biblical, it's not right. Now, there's a couple of principles I want to tell you before we start the message. And I'll, I'll be through about 8 o'clock anyway. <laughs> Here's the first one. Now listen carefully. A couple of very important ideas. Only God can change a stubborn heart. Only God can change a stubborn heart. Now don't, please don't raise your hand or respond in any way. Don't poke your husband or wife, please. But how has it worked out when you tried to change your husband to be like you want him to be? How'd that work out for you? I know how it worked out for you. How about when you tried to make your wife like your mother? How'd that work out for you? Well, you know what I'm saying. So only God can change a stubborn heart, and only God can convict of sin. I had a, a mother call me, not, not from this church, from another, another place, and, uh, about her son. And her son was wayward, and it was gone off the, off the path, and... and uh, Every time he would call, she would give him a three-minute lecture on how he was a wicked and doing wrong, and you know. And and she said, "I can't understand. He won't talk to me anymore." You get it? Only God can convict of sin. When we deal, by the way, what the last message of this series, if God allows me to do it, will be, uh, "What about the wayward child?" We're going to deal with that subject because it's it's a real subject, and we're going to deal with it then. Now, there's something else. There, there's a principle in counseling that you need to understand. And I'm going to say it for you. You ready? Here's what it is. 
We cannot change others. We can only change ourselves. And when we change, others tend to change in relation to us. You get it? Or just to make sure you did, you're going to repeat it after me. Ready? We cannot change others. We can only change ourselves. When we change, others change in relation to us. In other words, you can't make your husband a good Christian. You can't make your wife a good Christian. You can't make your children good Christian. Now, we can do everything we can to encourage them. We get to the, the section, I think it's not the, le- the next lesson, no, it's, it's two lessons down, about how the husband is to help his wife spiritually. That, that's important. But here we're talking about this. You cannot force anybody, nag them, bat, beg them, beat them over the head, whatever, and make them change. You just can't do it. It won't work. It never has worked. And you know it won't work, but you do it anyway. You can't change others. You can only change yourself. And as we change, others change your relation to us. So Peter, in this passage, doesn't deal with the rights of a, of a, of a Christian. He deals with the responsibilities. And you've already seen what they are. To live a humble, submissive life. Now let's look at it step by step. In verse 1, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wise, while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear. Now, this gives room for not only unsaved husbands, which probably was most of them, were probably unsaved. It also gives room to say, well, they, they don't obey the word, so it could be a believer that is not committed to Christ. Uh, it could be that. But the point is that how can they be one? How can you influence them in, into being a Christian or being living right? How can you do that? It's interesting. Every morning when you get up, remind them what a lousy husband and what a lousy Christian they are. Right? That work? What about leaving notes around and telling them how wicked they are? Would that work? No, of course not. But, 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 if you as a wife show godly character, notice the two words chaste conversation coupled with fear. Uh, that means living a pure life. Hey, if the gospel hasn't changed you in a good way, then they're not going to believe it can change them either, whether they're saved or unsaved. If the gospel hadn't made you a pure person, if you still dabble in things that are wrong and your husband knows it and he sees it, you have no testimony. It was uh, R. Kent Hughes in his book, Set Apart. If you haven't read the book, you ought to read it. It's It's a tremendous book. But he said this, if we're just like the world, we have nothing to say to the world. Can I say to you women, your ladies, if you're just like us sinners, then you have nothing to say to an unsaved husband. It is that life that has changed. And the word fear means reverence. You have a reverent spirit and a pure life. That's what impacts a lost person. That is what impacts a, 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 a person who doesn't know God. One of the questions they're asking me a lot in my lifetime. A lady will get saved, and the husband is unsaved. So, 
uh, she comes to me and says, my husband says he doesn't want me to come to church. What do I do? That would be a good question for a study question, wouldn't it? What would you tell them? How would you, how would you counsel somebody who said, my husband don't want me to go to church? I'm supposed to be in subjection to my husband, right? But he don't want me to come to church. Can I tell you how to deal with that? Because I can show you how it works. I can tell you from experience. You say, dear, okay, I'm a Christian. I love you. I'm your wife. I want you to, I want you to do right. I want to do right. So I'm not going to go to church today. But you're going to have to know that one day I've got to go to church because the Bible says I've got to go to church. But I'll stay home with you. So you go, you stay home, you get his lunch ready. He's over there reading the paper, ball game's coming on. He's grumpy. He grumps around, you know, the whole time you're there. But you, you, you stay home that day. And the next Sunday, same thing. He don't want you to go to church. He don't go to church. You get his lunch, he's grumpy and all that stuff. You know what, you know what he says the third Sunday? I'll go on to church. I'll see you when you get back. It works every time. Why, why, now listen, why? Why? Because God honors an obedient life. God honors it when we do it his way. So the first thing is a chaste conversation. That means a manner of life. Your life is pure and it's a reverent manner of life. Look at the second thing. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting of hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. But let it be of the hidden man of the heart, in in that which is not in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. How, how to become a beautiful woman? Well, how can a Christian woman be attractive to a disobedient husband or an unsaved husband? How can that happen? By the way, don't don't follow Hollywood's example. They're not very good at it. They're very beautiful as people would count beauty, but their marriages don't last very long, as you know. So how, what, what is the difference? Well, it's not with outward show. Now, you know, I've heard all kinds of messages on this. I'm not going to get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of it, but, but it's pretty easy. In other words, to understand that the cultural view of attractiveness is extravagance and outward display. Is, is extravagance and outward display. And this, this matter of playing her hair, putting on gold, and all that stuff, that's, that's the way the women of that culture that they had grown up in, how they dressed to be beautiful, to make themselves beautiful. He said, Peter said, that's not the way you need to be. Appropriate, now listen to me, appropriate Christian dress should reflect an inward spiritual change. When people see you, they should know there's a difference. When your husband sees you and the way you dress and the way you carry yourself pure, uh, you're not uh, trying to be outwardly show, but rather you are to be uh, appropriately different by, by, your, by your dress. When the, now listen, when the children of Israel, you go back to Deuteronomy 6 again. When the children of Israel were going into the promised land, it was full of idolatry and wicked people. And he was, he was preparing them for the change. They were, they'd been, been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They'd been in the desert for 40 years. Now they're going to a different land. They weren't soldiers. They were, they were just, you know, who they were. But the, it, was the, it was the clothing, the, the habits, the, the way they, what they ate, what they did, 
was to be a different than the heathen, the heathen around whom they were living. And it was that difference that would, that would show the power and wisdom of God and the fact they were obedient to God, even the worship. Now, you probably haven't thought about this much, but, you know, when they build an altar, God said, don't, don't build an altar uh, out of cut stones. Build, just use rough cut stones. You know why he said that? Because all the heathen altars were, were ornate, built, carved out stones. We don't want you to worship the way they do. So the cultural view is extravagance and attractiveness has to do with outward display. But the Christian attractiveness comes from purity and reverence, as we saw in verse number two. And notice this, verse number four. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That last statement should pull us up short. In the sight of God is great price. Not corruptible. <laughs> you know, uh, no matter how you paint it up, when you get older, it's not going to look the same. You know, uh, we, uh, I'm not 25 anymore. You know, we have sags and bags and aches and pains and all kinds of stuff. But you know, what makes a woman beautiful when she's older? A meek and quiet spirit. Purity, chastity, uh, kindness. You see, it is that, that does not corrupt. It's not corrupt. God says it's not corruptible. It doesn't age. As a matter of fact, the older a woman gets, the closer she gets to God, the kinder, the more gentle, the more understanding, the more loving she should become, which would make her more beautiful and more attractive and more wonderful to be around. I mean, let's face it, folks. Some people are just plain ornery, hard to be around. But you don't want to be married to one like that. You want to be married to somebody who's kind and sweet and gentle. Amen? So, ladies, you want to be beautiful? Hey, it's not the opposite of saying uh, a meek and quiet spirit and by the way, which in the sight of God a great price, that should be all you need to know. We know what a meek and quiet spirit is. It's the opposite of I want my way. I want you to do it my way. That's not a meek and quiet spirit. Now, number five, verse number five says, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Who, who's to be your role model? The holy women would be role models. You know, in your dress, in the way you carry yourself, in the way you treat your husband, in the way you treat your children, it should be the holy women. And, and I, I praise God. And I, I you know, I'm just going to say it. We have a wonderful group of women in this church that you can follow after. That you can look. When my wife and I were young, before we had children, we made a practice, I mean, literally many times, I could tell you stories all night, about people that we saw who were loving, who had a good marriage, who were raising their kids right, and we would go and ask them, tell us what you're doing. Give, give, give me, you know, tell me what you're doing. I want, we wanted to have that kind of home. We wanted to be that kind of parents. And I want to have those kind of kids, and I want to know what you, how'd, you, how'd you do that. Tell me what you did. In other words, we wanted to pattern our life not after the world, popular culture, 
but after godly Christian people. Ladies, your models, your role models should not be Hollywood or Glamour magazine. It should be holy, godly women. And there are plenty of them around here to look at and talk to. The way they dress, the way they carry themselves, the way they treat their husbands, the way they treat their children should all be modeled by you. And by the way, look at verse 6. This is, this is a fascinating way to end this section. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Don't be afraid to be a holy woman. Don't, don't be afraid to try to live as close to God as you can be and, and to make your life in, modeled after godly people and to be kind and to be sweet and have a meek and quiet spirit, not demanding your own way. Don't be afraid of that. Because listen, only God can change a heart. Only God can fix things. Only We can't do it except when we change, others change in relation to us. So don't be afraid. Uh, by the way, my wife, we've been married 50 years. She's never called me Lord yet. But we're working on that. I'm expecting one of these days she will break down and do that. But, but, uh, so how do, you, how do you become a beautiful woman? By do, doing it God's way and by following after godly models. Then what about the, what about the gentleman? Wives, you, you, but no poking your husband with your elbow. Well, that's not permitted now. Okay. So he says, likewise, he, he, there it is again. He's not changing the subject. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. How do you learn about your wife? You need to read a book. All the women are going, wrong thing, don't read a book. How do you want them to understand you, ladies? They have to listen to you. They have to listen to you. They have to talk to you. They have to be willing to sit down and have a conversation. You know what? You ought to know, if you're a husband, you ought to know what your wife's afraid of. And, and you, need to, uh, you need to react to that. If there are things that make her fearful, then you need to be sure you step in the way and, and, and do something to all you can. If, you, if, if you've had a break-in at your home or people around your home have been breaking, put up an alarm system. If that makes her feel better, do that. If she's afraid, know that. Uh, if she is weary, hey, you know what? Uh, I love to eat at home, but I know when my wife needs to go out for a meal. I'm not putting... Pin rose on myself, but I'm just saying, there are times that you need to break down and take her out and have a meal. Ladies, say amen. Amen. When she's tired, when she's had a rough week, when she's worked hard. And, and when you come home, you know, don't go sit down in the chair and put the paper over your face and start reading the paper or, or watching whatever you do. Or what. Hey, talk to her. The dog just threw up on the rug and the washing machine's broken and you had not fixed it yet. Listen to her. Understand why is, she's, why is she weary? What are her goals? What, what does she want to accomplish? What, what is she in her life? What is she thinking about? Hopefully, and I, I'm sure some are, I'd like to be more spiritual. I'd like to understand more about the Bible. Well, listen to that. Be understanding. Try to understand what they're thinking. 
what her frustrations, what things really, really get her wound up. You know, things that, you know, things like leaving your socks on the floor or rolling the toilet paper the wrong way. I mean, all those terrible things you do that upset your wife, you're, you're frustrating her. Learn to listen to her. Husbands, live with your husband, live with your wives according to knowledge. Just today, I, as we were sitting there watching the Braves game, uh, there, was a, there was a thing that popped up on Facebook. My wife was very happy to show it to me. It said, there's a new manual out on how to understand your wife. It was that thick. <laughs> and let me say, if someone who has been married for 57 years, and I'm 50, almost 59 years old, forget it. It ain't never going to happen. Do you understand, huh? 70. My wife's over here telling me what to say. <laughs> and by the way, I listened, didn't I? I listened. I did. I did. Okay. All right. In other words, learn, learn to understand her struggles. What is she, what is she frustrated? What, what about you? Listen to that. Most of them are very small. Listen to her. Learn how to, to appreciate her spiritual struggles. She may, she may talk to you. you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of down. I, I don't know what it is. I'm just, or maybe, maybe it's just you know, some, some family issues. It might be health issues. Listen. Listen. I'm going to tell you something, husbands. If you listen to this, you'll, you'll thank me for the rest of your life. I was assistant pastor in a church in Schaumburg, Illinois. And one of our ladies, she was probably in her 40s, she uh, saw, made an appointment to come and see me. So she came off and sat down. And she said, Pastor Sweaty, she said, she said I, wanted, I wanted to come and talk to you because I know you're, you know, you're always, you're so logical. And she said, I know if I came and talked to you, about, I have a problem here. I wanted, I wanted you, because I know if I told you my problem, you, you'd tell me how to fix it, you know? And, you know, I'm going, yeah, it's me, all right. I'm logical, like I'll, I got all the answers, just, just ask me a question. So she came and she told me her problem. Well, I said, well, okay, here we go. Number one, number two, number three. You know what happened? She got mad. And mad at me. You know why? She didn't want to hear the answer to her problem. She wanted me to. Yeah, lady. See, all the ladies knew it. All the ladies immediately knew the answer. She didn't want, she didn't want me to tell her what. And by the way, man, we can't solve all their problems. You know, my foot hurts. I'm so sorry. You know, don't, don't say you need to go to the podiatrist and get a shot. You know, I mean. You don't need to solve all the problems. Just listen to her. Learn how to listen to her. Dwell with her according to knowledge. Now, giving honor unto the wife. Honor her for how God made her. Made her. You know, the choices we make when how we choose our mate, you know, I don't know if you think about yours. Mine were interesting, which I'm not going to share with you right now. But you know, we're married. And you know, she's a farm girl from New Jersey, Yankee. And I'm a southern boy from Florida, city boy. I was not raised on a farm. Uh, I didn't like dirty things and all that. Uh, the meals we ate were different. You know, up north, they just boil things in water. You know, it's just plain old stuff. <laughs> we fry everything. You know, and if, you, if it ain't fried, ain't got bacon, it don't even need it. It's not worth eating. But you know, one of the things 
thank, thank Lord. Lord allowed us. I mean, God's been so good to us, and I, you know, I, I just I'm, I'm amazing, amazed how long we've lived, how God has been so good. That you know, those things are unique about her. The things I know about her, which I will never tell anybody, are, are unique. And I've learned to love her for those things, even the weaknesses. Well, she has a couple, only a couple. But you know, it, it is learning. What he's saying is, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. In other words, that's the way she was made. And I chose her, or maybe even hopefully, better yet, God chose her for me. And therefore, I honor her for who she is and what she's like. And all those things that make her different than anybody else. You know, we say in the marriage ceremony, I'll forsaking all others, I commit myself only to you as long as you both shall live. That's the way we ought to do. That is to honor her for who she is. And honor her also for that we're heirs together of the grace of life. That we're both believers. We're both on the same on the same road. We're we're going to the same place. We have we have the same goals pretty much about how we're gonna do it and where we're gonna go. And that it's a wonderful thing to have a Christian wife. It's a wonderful thing to have a woman who lives in, uh, for us, with us, and cares for us, and loves us in spite of ourselves. And, and is there to be that help meet that God made her to be, and God picked the right one. God didn't make any mistakes. And this nonsense about I don't have my soulmate, I'm going to go out and find my soulmate, that ain't biblical, my friend. It says she's a weaker vessel. <laughs> That, that, there have all kinds of things been said about that one. But let me just tell you what it really means. She's more vulnerable. You know why she's more vulnerable? Because the Bible tells her she is to obey you. That makes her more vulnerable. You know, in the first, mer- the first lesson of my pre-marriage counseling, I say, to the, I say to the man, the hardest thing, sir, you'll ever do in your life is to be a leader of your home, spiritually. That's the hardest thing you'll ever do. So many things make it hard. So many things make it difficult. You have distractions. You have things that, that capture your attention. You have other things you want to do. And I say to the lady, the hardest thing you'll ever do is to follow this man, no matter where he leads you. And I, and I always say, the first question I ask him is, Sir, are you ready? Are you prepared to be the leader of your home and lead your wife in a godly way. And if you're not, you should not get married. Somebody say amen. That was pitiful. Somebody say amen. amen. Of course. And by the way, on two different occasions in the, the 27 years I was pastor, I would not do a wedding. Because I felt that that was not the case. Then I would say to the lady now, let me, let me tell you something else. The hardest thing you've ever done in your life is to commit yourself to following the leadership of this man who makes decisions under the will of God and he's going to make some decisions you're not going to like but you are committed to following him and to be submissive to him therefore she is a more vulnerable person because she is under the leadership of her husband in the will of God and then last of all in verse number 7 of this passage it says this that your prayers be not hindered. That should pull us all up short. What that means is, if my relationship with my wife isn't what it should be, then my relationship with God is hindered. Uh, my, my, my relationship as a Christian is, is hindered if my relationship with my wife isn't what it should be. 
that your prayers be not hindered. What if God refused to hear, sir, your prayers because of the way you treat your wife? Now, I'm not naive. I'm sure there's all of us, all of us, including me, have things we need to do better. But the, the more in tune with our wife, the more we're in tune with the Bible standard for our living, the better prayer life we have and the more God listens to our prayers. That should make us all say, my goodness, I need to get fixed. I need to fix this. Verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them to do evil. Now let me say, folks, the, the subject has not changed. This whole book is about submission. So he's saying, if you're not willing to live according to what we've taught you in the scriptures, the standard we've, we've held up, then understand this. The face of the Lord is against them to do evil. He sees that as rebellion. If I will not do it God's way. Now, please understand, there's no perfect people. There's no perfect husband, no perfect wife, no perfect marriages. But there are people who've committed themselves to each other for life and committed themselves to doing what they know how to do to make things right. I've said to you before, and I've been around here a long time, let me say it again for you. I was not a perfect parent. I look back at my kids, and I'm, I'm amazed. They're, they're good kids, you know. I'm, I'm honored. That thrills me. But they were, I look back on that, and I think of things I did wrong. I think of ways I should have been different than I was. I thought of, I can tell you things like that. But here's, 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 the, here's the difference, though. And please understand the spirit in which I'm saying this. I said, Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've got this issue with, with my, my son or my daughter or somebody. And I don't know what to do. But if you'll just show me what to do, I'll do it. And that's the way I live my life. That's the way I raise my children. Now, I didn't always know what to do. I understand that. But I'm telling you, God is a great and gracious and mighty God. And God resists the proud. One of the, one of the things I realized when my kids were growing up, I don't know everything I need to know to help them. I'm, I'm not the person that they need all the time. I don't have all the qualities that they need to learn. That's the first thing. God resists the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. So Lord, if you'll just show me what to do, if you'll, just, if you'll help me see it and understand it, I'll do it. I'll, I promise you I will do it. And let me tell you something. God never fails. And God does what God does. And God honors obedience and God honors humility. And God will help us to have a home that honors Him. Young and ladies, young ladies, older ladies, you can be a beautiful woman. The Bible tells you how. Men, you can be a gentle man and live as God wants you to live. God has outlined it in the Bible. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Father, thank you so much for this privilege. Thank you, dear folk, who listen so carefully to what I've said tonight. And I pray the Lord you would help the word of God to speak to our hearts. Lord, may we not be proud, may we not be uh, hard, stubborn. Lord, we pray you'd break our, our heart and make us humble and make us be willing to listen. Lord, do a great work in our hearts. Help, help the next generation. Thank you so much for the testimonies tonight. And remind us again of how important our lives are to our children. And to me, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, as we live in front of them as an example. So teach us, Lord, how to live for you that we might please you Help us 
the ladies to decide to please you with their dress and not to please others, but to be holy and godly and clean and pure. I pray, Lord, you'd bless the message as it's intended to be. May your spirit do its work in our heart, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.